Yes, you may be seated, and I'd just like uh, maybe if my wife and, and Loretta would come up here, Loretta and Suzanne. If you would open your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 15. As we read our Bibles, we ought to especially note the passages of worship, uh, verses, themes uh, of great worship to our God. And there's one of these right here. And, and this, of course, this whole chapter is a, is a time of worship at verse 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And then that quite a verse. Yes. Meditate on that verse. And we're going to sing that verse for you in, in language that maybe not all of you will understand, but we're singing these words. So you just listen to the little song and and follow those words. We're singing those words there. Quien como tu, Jehová, entre los dioses, quien como tu, magnifico en santidad, terrible en las años, ha sido de prodigios, quien como tu. Quien como tú, Jehová, entre los dioses, quien como tú, magnífico en santidad, terrible en las años, hacedor de prodigios, quien como Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Who is like unto thee? This is to be this morning an introductory message uh, preparing uh, the other themes that are going to be coming. There are many questions about prayer that I cannot answer this morning. We're going to hear more about it through our brothers and, and through the testimonies that will come later this weekend. But I will give this introductory message to uh, turn our hearts towards God on this great theme of prayer. And... Um, And we are all on a journey with prayer. We're all on a journey in our Christian lives. You know, some of these thoughts that I'll give this morning uh, are fairly new to me. Uh, these thoughts have come through meditating upon a, 
what I understand to be the deepest passage of Scripture in all the Bible. Uh, it's a. I was reading through the Bible, and we try to read through the Bible every year, and every time I got to this portion, I had to pause. There was like, you could not hurry through that. You had to stop and, and, and uh, jot things down and look at this thing closely. And I'm referring to that very unique passage of Scripture when only 11 were left. And Judas had gone out into the night, and they're still in the upper room. And Jesus is there with his disciples. And then he opens his heart to them and shares them with them words that are the deepest words that we hear from the lips of our Lord in the 14th and 15th and 16th chapters of John. And then in chapter 17, he takes those themes that he spoke about in those three chapters and turns those all into a prayer to his Father. And teaches there what we ought to do. If you take a passage like we just sang from there, Exodus 15:11, and you have your Bible open to that passage, and you have it lying there on your chair, on the seat of your chair, the seat, and you're kneeling before the chair, and you have your Bible open there to that passage, you read that. You hear those words from God. Then you take that, take those words, and turn those words into a prayer. Take that voice from the Lord. Take that word from the Lord. Turn it into a prayer. That be your personal prayer, your own heart prayer. And and pray that to God. And that seems to be what Jesus did here. He takes these holy words, words they received from his Father, words that were born of the Holy Ghost into his life, and he shared those with 11 of his disciples. Only 11 were left. And then he took those words and turned them into a prayer. And... Uh, that prayer of John 11, of John 17, excuse me. And so that's these words. Uh, it's from this context, this study, there's these three chapters that I want to uh, introduce this theme of prayer to us this weekend here. And Jesus came being the revelation of God incarnated as we heard already this weekend God made flesh. He came for the purpose of revealing the Father to us. Revealing the Father to the world. Revealing the Father to His people. And He came not only to change what our impression of God was like from the Sinai thunderings to the Our Father which art in heaven relationship. Not only to change our concept of God, and certainly He came to change our concept of God, but but more than that, He more than that, and I wish we could believe this, but but more than that, He came from heaven to show us what the Father is like, so that we could become like the Father. And He was so much like the Father, veiled in flesh. Experiencing the limitations of human life, but so much like the Father. And He was especially like the Father in two things. He was especially like the Father in the works that He did 
And he was very much like the Father in the words that he said. And he told us that he doesn't say anything unless he receives it from his Father to say it. And he said that he does not do anything unless it pleases his Father to do it. And what Jesus said originated in the heart of his Father. And he is the Word. He is the Logos of God. And so the Word went forth out of the mouth of God. And that Word became flesh. And so we have the Word of God in living example before us. And so the words He spoke, they were the words of God. And then the works of God. That is what He did. And I believe it was G. Campbell Morgan that asked this question. Which proved best the divinity of Jesus Christ? The works that he did or the words that he said? That was quite a question. When I read that question, I... uh, Well, I didn't wait real long to answer that question. Do you know that when those publicans and sinners drew nigh unto him, it says in Luke 15, 1, it says, it does not say they drew nigh unto him, purposely, voluntarily decided to draw nigh to him, not because they wanted to see more water turned to wine, and because they wanted to see stones roll away from sepulchres, and because they wanted bread to be multiplied for their eating, and because they wanted to see crutches thrown away, and wheelchairs destroyed, and roofs up and up, and people be let down on four ropes. They didn't draw near to see him do more things. It says in the Bible that they drew not to him to hear of him. And when Jesus was finally brought before Pilate to be condemned to death, it was not because of the works that he did that he was condemned. We heard this man say, and when the officers were sent out to arrest him and bring him back, they came back without anybody and The Pharisees couldn't understand it. Why did you bring him? And they said, never a man spake like this man. And of his words he said, my words are spirit and they are life. And brothers and sisters here at Kingdom Fellowship, Jesus did many, many, many works that you and I cannot do. But we can speak the words of God. And if there's anything that should smite our conscience and riddle the ashes of our carnality out of us, it is when we think about all the words we say that don't bring any glory to God at all. The words we say that Jesus would never have spoken 
the words we say that God would never wish for his children to have used. The spirit with which we say our things. And uh, the things we laugh about. And the, uh, the unwholesome words. The waste of words. This should really be a concern to us, what we are saying. And so he came to show us what the Father was like so that we could become like the Father. And and then he leaves in these chapters. He he leaves, uh, 101, he mentions these things, equipment with his disciples that will enable them to be for their father in his absence, what he was for his father when he was here. To, to carry on this work that he began in the way that, with which he, be, he had begun it. So that those who see us doing what we are doing in our time will be conscious of God's presence like those were who saw him doing what he did in his time. And so that there be for our people in the lives that we touch that life that was for those whose lives Jesus touched. And Brother Manny was leading this worship this morning here. And he talked about Jehoshaphat remembering God and said that his eyes were upon the Lord. And then he gave an illustration of what happened in the fifth week of SIL out there in North Dakota. And then he said he wanted to tell us that to encourage us. And, and I don't know if you caught it, what he said. But as I understand the heart of Brother Manny, this is what he was telling us. He was telling us That if God has it for us to do, if God put it before us and laid that task before us and brought that need or that problem into our lives, He's doing it for the same reason that brought all those kinds of things into Jesus' life. So that we, with the same equipment and trust in the Lord, can bring glory to his name as we that see those things healed and solved and resolved and blessed as Jesus brought glory to his Father's name when he did those things. And as he is this world, even so are we in this world. And that is why he has these three chapters before these brethren, these eleven men. But you say to this morning, you say to me, well, Brother Dale, we, we are not the eleven. We are not the eleven. And we have a tendency to doubt whether Christ really wants us to be able to do what he was doing when he was here. And I could read a lot of verses to you this morning that would help us understand that that's exactly what God wants us to do. None of them any more powerful than this one when in that 17th chapter he prayed 
that he is sending us out into the world, even as he was sent into the world. And then in chapter 20, he said to the disciples, as he breathed on them, he said, As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And how can we ever expect in this life to do what Jesus did and finish this work that he has given us to do unless we have the same availability to the, and access to the Father that he had when he was doing it? And how can we do it with any less of that holy anointing of God with which he had done it? And how can we do it with, that, with any less of that communion with the Father which so characterized Jesus' life? And so Jesus gave us all that equipment in these chapters. I'm going to give you just quickly... Four reasons why I believe that Jesus is speaking of us here, not just of eleven. And if I give this introductory teaching, maybe you'll receive better than what comes later. I'm going to give you four reasons why I believe that this teaching in these three chapters is for us, not just for eleven men. It's for the church of our time. This message from the heart of our Lord is to be our experience today. Well, first of all, it certainly applied, even when we're still in our Bibles, when we're still in Bible history, it applied to more than the eleven, because Matthias was not one of the eleven, nor was Paul, nor Barnabas, nor Stephen, nor Philip, nor Silas, nor Cornelius. It applied to Gentiles, it applied to the Jewish believers. And many of them experienced this life. And many of them entered into this beautiful experience with the Lord. It applied to them. They were not the eleven. It surely applies to us. And the conditions, number two, that they were facing at that time, for which they needed this divine blessing and anointing in their lives, in relationship with God, we are facing those same things today. And we can do no more without this provision from the Lord than what they could have done without it. And we need it as much as they needed it. And God provides it for us. And these promises that we have here extend to the uttermost parts of the earth. Extend unto the all nations as we have it here on this prayer card. House of prayer for all nations, for all peoples. And the eleven never came close to going to all nations. The eleven never got to Brazil. They have not been to Peru. They have not been to uh, Iran. The eleven did not make it to Thailand. And we carry out this commission as we're engaged in this same work that they were that they began to do. We enter into the same promises and have the same provision of Christ's presence with us that they had with them. I think Jesus himself made it very, very clear that this legacy that he's leaving with the eleven, he's leaving with all of us. If we would just hear what he says in his prayer in chapter 17, would you allow me to read just several verses here, verses 20 through 23. Neither pray I for these alone, that was the eleven, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are. That applies 
to us. I and them and thou and me that thou may be that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. And that applies to us today. The world at that time, by their oneness, saw the provision that the Father had given to the world, and so, so it is today. So I want to go back here to chapter 14, and uh, we'll show you this theme. It's in the three chapters, 14, 15, and 16. Jesus here is, uh, among the teachings that he's giving, he's, he leaves a legacy of prayer here, teaches us to pray, and teaches us how to pray, teaches us the importance of prayer, and teaches us the purpose of prayer. And I want to make that as clear to us as I can today, but now in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And I should take verse 12 with this. Really, really, we should read all these chapters, but I will take verse 12 with it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this, these are words that are hard to, to believe. I will just confess to you that these words are not easy to believe. I can just hear people arguing and saying, no, 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 no. This is long since gone. This has long since happened. This was for the apostles during the apostolic age, during the time in which the word was given and the gospel canon was completed and and that's what this is for. I can just hear those arguments coming from from all over the... Uh, I can just hear those arguments coming from all over. I've heard that for many years of my life. But I can just look at these verses and in the spirit of worship that we've had already this morning. Let's, let's hear what God has to say here. Verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. If that was hard to believe, if that was hard for us to understand and accept, then verse 13 and 14 will be harder yet. Verse 13 says, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye, ask, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. We, we think that verse 15 is easy to understand and believe and practice. We would say that 12, 13, and 14 are awfully hard. May I, may I pause here and, and speak to your hearts? You think that 12, 13, and 14 are virtually impossible for us. And turn right around and think that you're capable of doing verse 15. We can wash feet. We can wear veils. We can do some form of alternate service instead of joining the Marine Corps. And I wonder how anyone in the world can think that they can keep the commandments of Christ if they're not living in verses 4, 12, 13, and 14. Do you know what it means to keep my commandments? Do you know what that means, brothers and sisters? 
Keeping Christ's commandments means living as he lived. Keeping Christ's commandments means that when people see us, it is the same as if they would have seen Christ. Keeping Christ's commandments means that my daily life is an expression of the life of Jesus. And those who love him can do that. And those who love him take this great invitation that we have in these verses. And whatsoever you shall ask him in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And the many, many times the disciples had seen Jesus pray to the Father. They saw him many, many times ask God. They saw him many, many times ask God's blessing. They saw him many times in long seasons of prayer. And then they saw him come out from that time of prayer and go out into the Nazareth or the Canaan of Galilee, wherever the town was, he went. And they saw the noble quality of life, the power that came from his life. And Jesus is saying, you're going to need to do the same thing that I did so that you can experience the same results that I experienced. And you see, this whole Christian life is Christ. And it is when I know Him, and I see Him, and I adore Him, and I worship Him, and I believe Him, and I trust Him, and I surrender to Him. And I make up my mind that in this situation, and in this day, Though he is not here, he has me here, and he is with me here, and in me here, and enabling me here, and I will glorify him here. This is the Christian life, and uh, it is no accident that, that God brings into your experience the very, very unique and challenging and sometimes overwhelming circumstances that you face. And as we grow in the Christian life, those experiences become more intense. And as our faith increases, the Lord brings those new challenges to us. And we grow in Him. Chapter 15, verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my, my disciples. Verse 16. I, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Chapter 16. Verse 23. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. There we have that same, that same uh, teaching of asking and receiving. Again, in verse 24. Hitherto have ye asked 
nothing in my name asking you shall receive that your joy may be full. And Jesus makes a very clear and dynamic statements here. Statements that seem bold, statements, statements that seem to be extreme, but he had all authority for what he said. And his words have proved true many, many times from then until now. And these words are still true words. They are holy words. These words are filled with power. These words are the, the words of God. And so I want to take a look at this teaching that Jesus gives us on prayer. And help us understand the purpose for which the Christian prays. The purpose for which Jesus prayed. So we have him here unfolding this law of the kingdom. He that asketh receiveth. And I noted that for you. In 1624, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. And he had that teaching back in Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find, for everyone that asketh receiveth. And we have that back there, and you know those words by heart. So after this powerful text on the work of faith in our lives, in John 14, 12, Greater works than these shall he do, because you believe, he that believeth on me, he that believeth on me. One of the evidences of believing. After that powerful text, he explains the means by which this will be done. How will we do these things? Well, you're going to ask the Father in my name. The Father is going to be glorified in the Son, because it brings glory to the Father to have this done. It brings glory to the Father. Well, we could tell you many stories. But let's give you one story. And maybe you'd have to understand what life is like in Latin America before you can understand this story. This happened in the home of a Latin brother. This man has had economic problems all of his life. He has some physical difficulties too and limitations. He has a hearing problem. He can hardly hear what you say. It's hard to hear him, understand him when he speaks because he has a speech defect because he cannot hear the words properly so he cannot say them right. And this difficulty in life has made him a lot of other problems, relationship problems and so on. And one of the difficulties is economic struggles. Some of his brothers have tried to help him with that and it just, was, it just goes downhill for him. And so it got to the place where his testimony was so bad in the community, his assets had falling apart, his income was not sufficient, his testimony was bad in the community because of his economic life. And so we asked for the brothers of the church to come to the meeting house for a visit, and we asked some of his physical brothers, natural brothers, who were not part of the congregation, but brothers in the flesh, to be there with us too. What could we do to help this man? And as we discussed what's going on and what we need to do, one of his brothers said, He has always been this way. He will never accept help. There is no one that can change his... This is the way he's always been. I said, Brothers, let's go to his house. Gather in his house. And would you allow me to speak to him? And I'd like you to be praying while I'm speaking to him. And you pray, and I will speak. 
to this man. We went there, and he invited us in. We gathered around. I think there were about 12 men in the room, maybe 13. He sat there beside his wife, and he was going like that. He sensed that something was coming, and The Lord was there. We began to speak to him. He began to cry. All the men in the room began to cry. I told him a story of a serious financial failure that I had had in my own life. And what God led us to do about it. And told him that we love you just as much as those people loved me. And God loves you and wants to meet your needs. And we want to help you. And when I was finished, he was he had tears running down his face, so did his wife. He said, I'm ready to do anything that you feel would be good. I'll accept your help. And so three brethren were appointed to help him with his finances. And there was no one in that room that could believe it. What they were seeing, he accepted something he was never willing to do for 45 years. Why does God give us, why does God present these very, very unique challenges on our ministries and our callings? And they're great works that should bring glory, glory to God. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And that's why we're praying. You see, these 11 men had seen Jesus do, to do these things for these, throughout these years. They, they saw He faced problems, in, interruptions impossibilities. They saw how he faced that. They saw what he did. And now Jesus is saying, I want this to continue in your lives. It is now for you to do it. And and you won't do it alone because the Father and I will come and we'll make our abode with you. And when he ascended on high, the Bible says the disciples went forth in the last verse of Mark 16. And Jesus, it said, working with them. He was doing it. And so we have this relationship with God and with the Son. And he has, he has sent that promised paracletos into our lives. And so we have we don't need to worry. We don't need to uh, think up a prayer. We don't need to invent praying. We don't need to try to form words. We don't need, need to write the Declaration of Independence. We don't need some famous author to come up with words. We don't need a speech writer like President Obama does. 
It's God's work. And it's God's heart. And, and we're here. And, and, and this, this prayer is a link between the powers of God, the, 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 the love of our Father, the care of our Father, and this, these needs that are here. It would be, there, it'd be them in the lives of our families or ourselves or our congregations or our communities. And these needs are around here. And here is God. And He wants something done to be glorified. How do we glorify God? What, what can be done here that would glorify God in this situation? And then this is this this gives birth to the prayer. See, Jesus began to do and teach. It says in he in Acts one and two, he began to do and teach, but then this had to be carried out, and it's still being carried out today in, in Costa Rica, in Nicaragua, wherever you live, Pennsylvania. His faith, faithful ministry occurs in no other way. How else can the Father be glorified? Chapter 15, verse 16. I have not, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. How else could the Father be glorified? That in this way, that what the work that the Father wants done, that He's left on the, us on the earth to do, these tasks that He's brought into our lives, that He wants brought under the kingdom, under kingdom control, under kingdom authority, then how else can He be glorified? Well, unless He can depend upon us to believe that He will do what needs to be done. Now, these, these teachings that Jesus gives in these verses that I've read are not quite as unconditional as what they look when you first read them. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. It almost sounds unconditional, doesn't it? Why don't we ask God then for a couple of BMWs? It almost sounds unconditional, but it, it is not unconditional. You see, faith must ask. We ask believing. And I can show you many verses that, that teach that, that's found right here in these three chapters. He that believeth on me, faith must ask. Not doubting. Faith must ask. And we don't believe that God can do it. But, but do we have any evidence that God wants to do it? Do we have any evidence that God can do it? What evidence do we have? And, and Brother Manny told us this morning that Jehoshaphat remembered. And, and we can recount the times. We can remember the experiences. We, we, we can, we've heard the stories of others. We have seen what God has done in the lives of other people. We hear the testimonies. We recount the stories to our children. But there's another evidence we have that God wants it done. 
And that is that he's brought this task, he's brought this problem, he's brought this serious situation into our hands. And why is it here? God wants something done about it. And we must believe. And he says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. And, uh, and you say, how do you do that practically? How do you carry that out? You see, your prayer life is more than X amount of time spent praying. Fifteen minutes. Uh, I told you that I had that prayer list and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't make that thing last longer than five minutes. And I was supposed to pray for an hour and I didn't know what to do. And, and so I still thought I'll run, I'm going to run some prayer life marathons. I'm going to see if I can pray for 15 minutes. That, that was a terrible thing to get over that. I, I couldn't pray 15 minutes. I get down on my knees and I get rootchy and itchy, as you say in Pennsylvania. I couldn't stand it for 15 minutes. I couldn't stand on my knees for 15 minutes. And what do you think to say for 15 minutes? And finally got to the place where I could pray for 15 minutes. And I thought, we'll try it for half an hour. And, and this, this went on like that. And uh, an hour. And then uh, I want to stretch that to longer. We'll leave it there. But it's not so much time spent. It's, it's not so much time on the knees. It, prayer, your prayer life is not so much closet time. But your prayer life is your life. Your, your prayer life is how the prayer lives. And, and you see, that, that, that takes this, that, that, that puts some condition into these statements that Jesus is making. If you ask anything in my name. And it's the way the prayer lives. And when, when Jesus came to God, there was every reason for God to answer that prayer. There was a relationship with God that was continual and it was pure. And so it came to God that way. And we come to God that way. And we are not... Yes. Yes. Didn't we already say it this morning? The failures of life. The weaknesses of life. The... The forgetfulness of life. The, uh, the self-interest we have in life. I'm amazed at the, I'm amazed at the immensity of my selfishness. I, I am amazed at, at how much of life is centered around oneself. I'm amazed at, you know, what happens in here when you can't find it. You're looking for it. You can't find it. What goes on? And what goes on in here when it's some inconvenience for yourself? And, and right there you find the power of your prayer. Right there. Right there is... is uh, then how could I be sure with this selfishness in here? How could I be sure that this prayer is for God's glory? How, how can such a selfish person See the power of God come down and, 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 and take this situation and glorify His name with it. When selfishness might just want some decoration there. And some acclaim. And some kind of trophy to carry around. 
And so I'm trying to show us that, that our prayer life is, is our, the life that we daily live. And then you take a life that's lived in that noble way, a life that's lived in that dependence upon God, life that is lived with that carefulness, life that is lived with that surrender to the Lord, life that is lived with that denial of self, life that is lived with that broken spirit, life that is lived with that crushed heart, life that is lived in that way. And that, and that life then comes to prayer. What's, what's God going to do? Brothers, just tell me, what is God going to do when that life falls down before God in prayer? When that life stands before the tomb, Lazarus' tomb, when that life comes before a little boy's lunch with five loaves and two fishes, and, and that life begins to pray, what is God going to do? And when that life falls down upon a stone in the garden, and the sweat drops down upon the rock, what is God going to do? And this promise that Jesus is making here, these promises, these, these strong statements, these declarative, bold statements that Jesus is making are all made with this in mind. That these promises are based upon the commission that He's giving us. Go out and do My work. Do My works. Verse 12. Do these works that are My works to be done. I'm going on to My Father. Do these works. I'm commissioning you to go out and do this. I'm commissioning you to finish what I started. I'm commissioning you to go out there and do, get this done. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you to do that. And these prayers that we then pray are based upon that commission. And, I, and, and there's no BMW in that commission for me. There might be a dugout canoe. Or a mule ride. But what we're praying for and why we're praying is because this work must be done. And if we want God to answer those prayers, then we must be sure that the prayer we're praying, we're praying it because we're involved in this very commission that God has sent us out to do. And if, we're, if, if that is what we're doing, if our lives are lined up with that purpose that God has for us where we are, and that is what we're praying, then these promises are upon us but it's, it, I must tell you it's conditional upon that work of God being done. That kingdom work being done. And that sounds very, very different from crystal cathedral praying. That sounds very, very different from uh, the power of positive thinking. You know, this prayer, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I think it's Ten words in there, and you're supposed to take that verse from Philippians. I was taught this in a salesmanship class, a sales class. Sale, uh, we were trying to, they wanted us to sell something. And it's supposed to start every day off, you're supposed to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then the next time you say that sentence, you, you emphasize the second word, I can do all things. And so I'm going to make a lot of money today. That's not what Jesus has in mind here. And uh, it's his kingdom that he has in view here. And so that's a purpose for praying. It's based upon this commission. That's the reason why God always answered Jesus' prayers. 
It was always for his glory. It was always his work. It was always what he wanted done. It was what God wanted done. And he tells us here that this prayer is in Jesus' name. What does that mean? In Jesus' name. It's not just that we say in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, and that's not wrong to say that. It's not, it's, it's not that we just give a whole list of petitions to God. We just give a whole volley of prayer requests. We make a great big list and say in Jesus' name at the end as so as to authenticate and authorize and make sure that we receive then that for which we're praying. That is not what it is here. But praying in Jesus' name means that you and I are in harmony with the Spirit and the ministry of Jesus. That we are asking for this the same reason that He would ask for it. We're asking for it as if Jesus Himself was asking for it. So that when we come to the Father with this, with this prayer, that this prayer ascends as incense into the presence of the throne. As it comes before God, he, he, he understands this prayer as if His own Son was praying it. And His own Son is praying it because He's ever living to make intercession for us. And, and He joins with us in this prayer. And so we're so in harmony with, with Him in this prayer. Now, this is not my theme this morning. But I just would like to, using that illustration of, of us, it, as Christ would do it, bringing to the Father these petitions and, and worshiping Him with, this, with, with these words of acclaim to God. And, and Christ is here then joining Himself with us in this before the throne. Can you imagine the power in heaven when this happens? The incense that fills the, the altar. All right. Prayer here on earth. Uh, I want to use the phrase here fellowship, prayer fellowship. Prayer fellowship. Now, to get you to understand prayer fellowship, I'm just going to uh, use the example of a basketball team, and, and you know that there are five people on a basketball team. And uh, they're supposed to be tall fellas. But there have been very, very good basketball players. They're not very tall. But you can't go out here to the closest Walmart or shopping center and walk in there and, and pick out five men. One, two, hey, hey, bud, come over here. You, 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 five. Five of you. And get them together. Stick them in a basketball court. Put a basket, throw a basketball out there and say, go play the Boston Celtics. You, you can't slap any five men together and make a basketball team out of them. Now, with that illustration, prayer fellowship. Let's find some people, let's find some brothers to make a prayer team. You know, that, that takes a long time. It takes a lot of working together, thinking together, struggling together, suffering together, failing together, breaking our hearts together. It takes a, take quite a time it takes quite a while to make a prayer fellowship. Brethren who can fellowship together in prayer. And one of the most powerful things is to find yourself on a team like that. And Jesus wanted to be part of a team like that. And it was hard for him to, to become part of a team like that. Jesus wanted to be part of a team like that. 
He wanted team members to join him in prayer. And he found it difficult to find those people. And I suppose if nothing else would come out of this Kingdom Fellowship weekend, if prayer fellowship teams could be formed as a result of this weekend, if prayer fellowship teams could be formed, look here, Brother Joel. ABT. I don't know where he got to. ABT here. Don't try it, brother, without that. And it's, it's, not, it's not a matter of, 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 like you prayed this morning, so much intellect to be able to put this all, all together together and, and design that web page that just collects all the good ideas of cyberspace and puts them together on your own page. Depends on this, brother. If that board, if that board can have fellowship in prayer, that's a secret. Now listen, Brother Joel, does God want this done or not? Is this God's work or isn't it? And when we have that clear, and for whose glory this is all for, it doesn't matter what this thing's going to cost. That $1,200 he talked about, forget it. That's no more to God than, 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 than 16 raisins. But do you know how to pray together? Prayer fellowship. USIL people that are here in this meeting today. A holy work, a beautiful work. You can sit in class and you can learn. And that was tough. That was a tough nine weeks. But it's also tough when you're hoofing it out there in the jungle or on the mountain crags in the lonely moments, the dangerous times, you need prayer fellowship. And I would encourage you to learn how to pray together in fellowship. This is what our Lord Jesus longed for. And that is why when he finds one of his children coming before the throne of God in prayer for kingdom work, he, he joins right in with that. And we have the uh, added the added uh, impact of Christ's own heart, His own blessing upon what we're praying. And to experience that here on this earth in fellowship and prayer with others. Praying in Jesus' name. Just like when Jesus prayed he asked for what the Father sent him to do. And now we are praying, asking God to bless what he sent us to do. And this is the way we ought to learn from Christ in the spirit of prayer. I, I want to say one more thing about prayer fellowship. There's a brother, he lives in South America, I live in Central America, another one lives in North America today, but we were all closer together one day than we are now. And we met together every year for three days of, of prayer fellowship. 
It didn't take any food for those days. We were met together for prayer. We had our Bibles there and we did Bible studies together and then we get on our knees and pray about what we just studied. That's the way we spent those three days. And when you're in fellowship like that with, with in an intimate way, you learn some things. You know, you're praying about a certain subject, praying about a certain thing, and you're kneeling there and the brother beside you is praying. And you're listening because you're in fellowship with each other and God is here and Christ is here and this is His work. And you hear Him pray and, and, and your heart is blessed to no end because you didn't think of that. And it just added a dimension. You, 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 you picked up the heart of God on matters that you had never crossed in your mind before as you heard your brother pray. And then, then another one adds something in there. And, and this, this union with the Father, and Christ is in the midst, and, and here we are praying together. And you know something holy is going to come out of that. It, it just is God's way to have things done. And the uh, you mission boards that have mission work in other countries. We, we don't have a mission board where we are, but we don't do our work that way. But there are mission boards up here in the States. And you people get together for your meetings, and you're thinking about sending out workers. And and uh, you start off your meeting with a word of prayer, as we call it. But, but let your meeting be prayer. Meet for prayer. Let, let that be the meeting. And, and start off your meeting and just take a short time, introductory time, to show the events or the issues or the questions or the things you must resolve or the, the wisdom you need, the, th the things you must make decisions on and bring them before the rest of the brethren on the board or sisters, whoever is there, and then get on your knees in prayer fellowship and take these things before God. Because we, it's Christ's work. All right, let's move on here. What will it take for us to believe? That if we ask in his name, he will do it. Well, have we gone to prayer with our Savior? Have we gone through our Bibles? Have we stopped with those times of prayer in Jesus' life? Have we listened to his prayers? Have we watched him pray? Have we listened to his words? Have we paid attention to how he was doing it? Have we spent time with him in prayer? Because it is from him that we learn to pray. You see, the answer will come to us as the answer came to Him. Because it is God doing for us what He did for His Son. Because we are doing for God what Jesus had done for God. And if in our meetings, and in our ministries, and in our homes, and with our children, we are doing for God what Jesus did for God, then God will hear us as He heard His Son and will do for us what He did for His Son because it is His work. Coming in Jesus' name. Coming in the power of the Spirit, of the life, of the surrender of Jesus' life. Not my will, but Thine be done. Well, I think we'll leave it there for this morning.
the brethren will will take this up from here and and take us further. Um, I want to make one more statement yet about prayer in a practical way. I didn't say much by way of practice, but uh, here you are now and you're going to pray. And so you uh, have a place where you pray and you found this place and maybe it's your normal praying place. Maybe it's a place you found out here in the campground somewhere under a tree beside the pond. And uh, now you're going to pray, and so you're either going to sit in that chair and pray, or you're going to bow your head, or you're going to kneel. Whatever you're going to do, your posture, and so now we're praying. And now I want to ask you a question. Are we praying, or are we thinking? Are we praying, or are we going over a list of life's assignments? Are we praying or are we just going over life's events? Or are we praying? How do we know? And one of the ways to help answer that question is to pray out loud. If you never learned to do that, that is an exercise worth learning. How do we know if we're just thinking or if we're praying? Are we conscious that God is here? Are we conscious that I'm not alone? Are we conscious that God has a definite interest in this situation? Are we conscious that He is guiding us in what we're saying? Are we conscious of His love, of His care? You know, sometimes the brother asked me a while ago, if we receive and we pray, then why do we keep on asking? Why do we keep on praying then? Why isn't prayer a short thing ever with and done? And we were finished with it. Why are these protracted periods of time? Why this coming back again and again? Well, faith believes, you see, and faith receives. Faith believes what God can do. Faith believes that God's heart is in it. Faith believes that God has interest in this very situation. Faith believes that heaven is at our disposal. Faith believes that that, uh, this is God's work and He wants it done and He can be glorified in this. And so though we have not yet seen the results, faith takes that stance. That's receiving. Though we have not yet seen the results, but we continue praying, But sometimes when we continue to pray, something strange happens. Sometimes God changes us. Sometimes God's saying, here you are, Dale, you're praying for this, but look at you. Sometimes the whole reason why this problem is before us is not because of that other brother or sister or need or situation that's out there, but because of what God is trying to do in our own hearts. And changes God wants to make it our own lives. And so the protracted period of prayer gives us that opportunity to examine here and allow God to touch us. And sometimes those protracted periods of prayer allow something else to happen. 
you were praying, and you were praying for God's glory, praying in a way that would magnify the Lord Jesus, because it's His work, it's not ours, it's His. And as you pray, you sense that you should change the direction of this prayer. Instead of praying like that, change this petition like this. Change it from here to here. If you're praying about a situation in your life and you're just getting nowhere with your prayer, you just feel your prayer is frustrated, you feel like you're not getting past the ceiling with it. Examine it. Are you sure that that's the way God wants it prayed? Would, it get more, would God receive more glory if it was over here? We had a man came into our community there and he collected up, collected up, uh, he, he made a rancho. Now, a rancho is a, uh, a, a typical building, what they used to have, you know, it has a thatch roof and it's got the, the, the pole construction. And uh, I thought he was building a house at first. And so uh, people don't build that way in Costa Rica anymore. We now use tin roofs and we use uh, cement blocks and we don't build houses like that anymore. But originally there was, you know, round pole construction with a thatch roof. And we had down along the river some of this cane that's growing. This, this cane is a real hard kind of cane. And he wanted to get a whole truckload of this cane to put in his, in his little uh, rancho that he was building. And I thought he was doing this for his house, maybe some decoration or something. He wanted to make, he wanted to make something. And, and then I found out that, that this was going to be a bar right in our community. And we're going to be playing music there. And this, this cane that he got from our, from our property, I gave it to him free. He used that to make the bar. The bar was about this high and he had this beautiful cane all around the front of this thing. And it was just a real typical looking scene. And this is where the drinks were going to be served. And that stuff came from our property. And so we were contributing to the making of a bar room right there in our community. I didn't know that that's what it was going to be. And when I found that out, I decided to pray about it. I told the Lord we must get rid of this building. We can have no beer served in here. We cannot have any of our young people in our community contaminated by that kind of a filthiness. We're not going to have this music in here, this dancing, these girls in here. I decided to pray every day for one month, for 30 days, that God will burn this building to ashes, that not one life will be lost in that fire, but there will be a testimony brought from this place that there's going to be no such bar room in our community. prayed that for 30 days. At the end of 30 days, the building was still standing there. But for some strange reason, I felt perfect peace about my prayer. No one knew that I was praying that. But I was sure that God wanted that prayed. A few days later, I kind of forgot about my praying. I decided to open 30 days. I left to go. A couple days later, I drove out through there, and I thought something strange. 
What is going on here? I looked over here where this building had been. And there was one big circle of black ashes. The building was completely gone. And lightning had come during the night when no one was in there and struck that building and burned it to a crisp. And everything was gone. And one of my neighbors took that property and built a dairy barn on the same land where that barroom had been. It's still there today. Sometimes we have to change the way we're praying so that God be glorified and so that our hearts can receive the adjustments that we need to make. But see, this is the purpose for praying because Christ wants our work done on this earth that only we are here to do. And how do we expect to do it if we don't have this access to the throne where that God can bless us and enable us as he did his own son when he was here. Today, it's for you and I. May God bless you.